0: And this is the beginning of the sermon for the, you know, but but let me just, oh, by the way, if you've been streaming these, or not streaming them live, but doing the podcast, we just discovered that there was some skipping going on, and we're going back and trying to fix them, and so if you're trying to get like the Memorial Day one, which I really, really think everybody should have and listen to regularly, we're fixing the audio on that, or the skips on that, but let me just say... Uh, I'm not doing a Father's Day sermon. I do every once in a while. Most of the time, honestly, as a guy, I'm kind of happy when you don't do a Father's Day sermon. So part of my gift to fathers almost every year is not doing a Father's Day sermon, okay? Mothers, mothers, I don't know why I don't feel the same way with you. If you feel the same way, maybe I should start doing, we start doing that too. But somehow it doesn't work out that way. But here's what happened. As you know, a couple of months ago, what the Lord did was, is that he quickened to me that he wanted the two sermons leading up to church at the beach, which is about fun and food and fellowship and family and all that. But really, it's also our baptism service. So it's, a, it's an important day, not just a fun one. And the importance is we do a public baptism in Lake Washington, full immersion. Water's not that cold. Don't worry. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> it's going to be great, okay? But I felt like God said, I want you to do two sermons leading up to that moment because I want to... I peel back and show everybody, including you, something new, something quite different, something quite deeper than what we think of when we think of baptism. And I have to say, last week, God was sure good for his word, wasn't he? I mean, it was an incredible sermon, I think, and it it did cover, but I knew when God told me it'd be two sermons, I knew that the first one was going to be sort of the breadth of the issue. With a deep revelation that held it all together, and it did. But I knew at the very beginning that the first one would sort of be more like this. In fact, it was titled Part 1, The Breath. And I didn't know what Part 2 was yet. But I knew that Part 2 would be the depth. I knew that in Part 2, he was going to do something that was just going to, oh, what I felt like and what I think he's done is, is blow me out of the water. I think he'll blow you out of the water. I think he's going to change our understanding, not just of what baptism is, but well, with what life in him is, what baptism is not just signifying, what baptism is a recognition of and an asking of, a reception of. So I'm just, I'm extremely excited about this sermon, and I just want to just jump right into it. So uh, Scott Chin, is it? Scott Chin, this is awesome. Thank you. Scott has been leading up our higher committee. Uh, He's also big wig down at World Vision, which we just absolutely love, and amazing guy. Get to know him for sure. Uh, Your life will be better for it for sure. So, Scott, would you lift up the sermon, lift up another church?
1: Sure. You know, every time I'll just say one thing, Kurt asks someone to pray. Um, If you ever need someone to write your job reference, you should ask Kurt to do it. <laughs> it's true. It is true. Amen. Because in that moment, he, you're like, who is he talking about? <laughs> you know? And Steph's is like, yeah, who is he talking about? <laughs> the greatest thing is, Kurt absolutely means it.
0: Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. We love you, brother. Uh, thank you. All right, church, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. Lord, we desperately thirst for the deeper thing. Amen. Lord, when um, Greg was and team was leading us into worship and our time with Shadrach and Jamie this morning, Lord, I can feel that you are plowing our hearts. You. Make it, Lord, be fertile, fertile soil. Thank you, to receive what you have for us today. Lord, speak in the way only you can through Curtis this morning. Amen. May those nuggets fall in our hearts. May they bear fruit for eternity. Lord, we know the fruit is in the roots. And so, Lord, we desperately want a deep work today Lord, we, uh, when we think about the church, Lord, my, my heart is for the church in fragile places. Amen. Lord, when you are doing a new thing, it's so fragile, Lord. We ask that you would come alongside and keep it safe and let it grow and blossom. Amen. Lord, where your church is under attack Amen. and... And, and your faithful servants are hanging hanging by a thread, Lord. Thank you. The only thread they're hanging on is you. Thank you Lord. Our heart right now and every day is for the church in the fragile places. Thank you Lord. Lord, pour out your word this morning, and Lord, we know it never returns void. And our God's people said. Amen.
0: Amen Amen. Okay, Uh, it's popular in certain circles to talk about your identity in Christ. It ought to be something that we're all doing all the time. I find that, which is odd because I'm a very abstract thinker, but I find identity in Christ to be a difficult concept because I find it hard to get down to the ground. I love thinking at 30,000 feet, but if it's not connected to the ground... I don't get it. I don't want, I don't care about it. You know what I mean? It seems like if it doesn't connect to something real in our lives that makes a difference, what's the point? Theology to me is something that needs to be connected. It needs to be real. It needs to be worked out. The praxis of theology ought to establish, in my opinion, the doctrine. That's a weird way of saying it, but I really mean that. And I never mean that we get extra biblical about that, so don't misunderstand. But what I do mean is is this stuff that we talk about needs to connect to our lives. And when we talk about identity in Christ, it's hard to figure out a lot of times how that connects with my life. And so let me just give you a really simple way of thinking about identity in Christ it's how you're supposed to see yourself. Because how we see ourselves is how we act. When you see yourself as a sinner, as a failure, as a slime ball, then you act that way, right? You can know that you're a child of God. But if you see yourself a certain way, you end up acting and being that way. So what we need to do is, as we say, put on Christ. We need to put on. We need to understand what our identity really is in Christ, who we really are in Christ. And then we need to think of ourselves that way, because that leads us to an entirely different place in the Lord, right? That's what God's going to do with us today. It definitely has to do with baptism, but it's about so much more than just baptism. Now, in order to to connect it with baptism, though, here's here's Galatians. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ to put on Christ like a garment, okay? So, have been baptized into Christ. So, here's the big question we're doing today. What does it mean to be baptized into Christ? What does it mean, practically, for real? What does it mean to be baptized into Christ? Well, last week we looked at, just real briefly, Romans that says this. Have you forgotten that when you were joined, that word joined, with Christ, Jesus, in baptism, we were joined, we joined him in his death, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. Baptism is what connected us to him as he died. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Jesus, just as we come up out of that water, just as Christ is raised by the dead, we also are with him in that raising up into these new lives. Got it? So I hope that that helps a little bit, but really, not really. I mean, it helps me, but I'm joined with him in there, okay. But, well, let me just, let me just talk about what, what it means to be joined to Christ. The last book of the Bible is Revelations. And Revelation is, essentially, everything that has happened before is going to culminate in this. So Revelation is what's to come. But don't just think about it as what's to come, think about it as the culmination of everything that's come before. It's all leading up to something. Now, at the very end of Revelation, the last couple of chapters show us what's going to come after all the bad stuff. In other words, the last couple of chapters of Revelation tell us what it's all about. This is the last thing that God's going to do. Well, that's the thing that God wants to do, right? That's his ultimate aim. If, that's the, if he's telling us what he's going to do at the very end, that's the whole point. Are we getting it? Okay, simple enough, right? So let's go there and let's look at it. This is Revelation 21. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, behold. The dwelling place of God is with men. Joined with, with, think about these. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Now understand, see, this is that separation that happened in the garden, right? We made a choice to go our own way. We got disconnected from God, so there was a separation of some kind. This is the rejoining again, like it was in the garden, only, and very important to always understand, better than the garden could have ever been. It's more so of what God wanted. When he was with us in the garden, it was God and us walking together. But in heaven, what it actually is, is they will see his face, his name will be on their foreheads. Now listen, night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, For the Lord God will be their light. They will reign forever and ever. Now, God will be their light. What's that mean? God is spirit, right? He's not body. He's spirit. But he has substance. To say he's spirit doesn't mean that he's he's got no weight. There is this Hebrew word that has to do with the glory of God, which is to say the weight of God. And when it falls in the temple, the priest can't even stand to minister because this weight of God comes down. And that is God's presence. It's the same thing that passes in front of Moses at the very beginning when he hides him in the cleft of the rock and his glory passes by and he sees just a part of it. And here's what's happening. Here's what the end is. It's not just us walking with God in the garden. What's being communicated right there is that we're going to be in his glory. We're going to be in him. That's where we're going to live. We're not going to live, it's not going to be God in some temple downtown Jerusalem. And there's a lot of people, so we have like a suburb that we live in of Jerusalem, and we have a little cul-de-sac and a little house that's different from God. In a way that we cannot understand right now, but we can wrap our minds around because of modern science and this idea of dimensions, we're actually living in him. In his glory. Now understand, as a sinner, you cannot live in God's glory, right? As a sinner, what happens if you get it close to his glory? Just try, <laughs> right? Just boom, bam, you're gone. The guy that, again, the, they're bringing the ark into Jerusalem one day, and the, a priest, always remember it's a priest. So it's not a bad guy who reached up to steady it from the donkey's back. It's a priest that reaches up, and he immediately just disintegrates as he touches his holiness. By the way, that seems like a cruel thing for God to do, but remember, he didn't say put it on the back of a donkey. We're to carry his glory. We were to carry it. So they were carrying it wrongly. Okay, we're to carry it. Which is to say this thing at the end, we're to be in it. That's, what God wanted was what? Oneness with us. Not just friendship, not just relationship, not even just intimacy. What he wants is oneness. So that's what we're going to be kind of looking at as we go here. And one of the things I'm going to do in order to get there is I want to say something. If the end of everything is us in his glory, then there's a principle that we have in theology that's very important to realize. You know, God stands outside of time, so do we. We're bound by time right now in this life as we perceive it. But ultimately, time is just something God has constructed, and he stands outside of it. And everything, so, so here's what we say. We say that we are now, not yet. It's a, it's a thing under sanctification, and sanctification, in the simplest terms, just means becoming more like him. It has to do with holiness, but it really is just becoming more like him. And so what happens is, there's a now, meaning right now, you are in God. If you have been born again, Right now, for real, you're in God. If I die right now, I hope, I think, I'm pretty sure, I'm in Him, and that's where I am. See it? Right. So That's true right now. But yet I live in this body of death, as Scripture calls it. I live in this world too, so there's a now to my in God, but there's a not yet too because of the... The besetting, the issues, the getting mad, the things that happen. See what I mean? So there's this not yet that's happening that God is sanctifying me. He's trying to get me closer and closer to the image of Christ. And when I die, it just becomes in the fullness. You get it? So there's a now, not yet. So when Jesus teaches the disciples to pray, and he uses this term, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is to heaven, understand something. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, take the fullness of the things that are now true, but we don't get. Take those things and bring them into this now. See what we're to do? We are instruments to bring his kingdom to the world. We gave the world away in the garden. And now what he's doing is he's saying, you who are of that kingdom, bring it into this world. Bring it into this life. See it? So that's what we're to be. We're to be instruments of bringing what is more true than the fact that I'm a mess up. What is more true is child of God in Christ, in God, in the Father. See it? And I'm to be bringing that truth into my life right now. I, I realize I'm almost going a little slow right here, but there's a reason I really need this stuff to plant in us. I'm trying to put a seed in there right now because I'm going to start throwing some water and fertilizer on it because I want it to start growing here right now. So, Lord, even now, in Jesus' name, I'm asking you to take these ideas and to water them, to feed them, to to even in our hearts, cause it to bear witness and cause it to plant something in us right now. Don't let anything steal it away. No birds stealing away the seed on hard soil. God, ground, nice plowed ground in which you're planting a good seed that's going to raise up to 30, 40, 60, 100 fold. In Jesus' name. Now, in order to understand what it is to be in Christ, we need to look for just a second at John 14 through 17. This is the most important passage about Christ, that where Christ is speaking that there is. It's the longest discourse. It's called the last discourse. It's the longest time that he talks. But that's he talks quite a long, long time. At least we have recorded. He talks quite a long time at Sermon on the Mount. And that's very important too. But this is what happens right before he's killed. This is the last thing that he says to the disciples, chapters 14 through 17. And so this is the this is the thing he wants ringing in our ear. Now watch how this comports how this compares with Revelation. Because I'm just going to skim over the top of it and pull some verses out and I want you to see what he's doing here. And it's on a couple different levels. Now, watch, this is verse 2 of that. In my father's house in God are many rooms. If it were not so, I if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also done. Does that sound like Revelation? What we just read in Revelation? I mean, that sounds like he's talking about the same thing, doesn't it? Okay? Being in him. Do not believe, do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? Now watch. There's two different principles we're doing. One is God in us. That one I think we kind of know because we talk about it all the time. The Holy Spirit came to us, breathed on us, made us new, made us a new creature inside. God lives in us. This is what we talk about as Christians all the time because it's critically important to talk about. But here's the part that we don't talk about, being in God, what it means to be in God, what it means to be baptized into Christ, what it means to be in God. So watch what he does. He's going to work both of those angles. Having God in you, which is amazing, let's be frank, right? I mean, do you realize he's telling this to disciples that though they have Old Testament prophecies about God breathing new life into you and making you new and all of it's there, but do they get it? Not even remotely, right? The disciples do not understand. And when he's saying this stuff to them, they don't understand what this, how can God come and live in me? Even though Jesus has just said to him a couple of days ago, this temple, that we're the temple. So it's not like God didn't say it. It's just that even though he said it, we don't get it. Well, that's still happening. Because he said a lot of stuff about what it is to be in him that we don't get. So with that in mind, I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever. The Holy Spirit, right? The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you. Indeed, the Holy Spirit's going to be in you. Wow, I don't know what that means as a disciple, but as a Christian, I do. Because I've been born again, and I get it. Having the Holy Spirit inside of me, I get that. Yet a little while the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that, listen, I am in my Father. See that? And you are in me. So where are we? In the Father. Huh. Sounds a bit like Revelation again. And also, I'm in you. Okay, don't quite get how that works, but... Judas, not a Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Not just the Holy Spirit, Christ and the Father too. The fullness of God in you. Through the Spirit, but the fullness of, nonetheless. As the Father and the Son are in the Holy Spirit, and he's in you, then they're in you. Right? Abide in me, abide in me, and I'm going to abide in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. Wait a minute. See, we've been talking about empowered, and what we've been saying with empowered the whole time is, the Holy Spirit comes upon me, and it's by the Holy Spirit in me that He does what He does. And that's absolutely true. But we're being given another idea here. And the other idea is, is it turns out that I need to be in the Father. I need to be in God. So that this thing that the Holy Spirit's trying to do through me, see, I'm a vine connected to in God and manifesting something out of God, just as Jesus is the fleshly manifestation of God for us. I'm to be the manifestation of God in the world. you see it? Because I'm connected to him. It's not just the Holy Spirit inside. Here's the key. It's not just me being over here and God coming to me and doing in me. There's something else that Jesus is trying to say in this last thing about us being in him. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me, whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anybody does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. What's our joy? This is his last prayer now. This is the last thing he says of any consequence to them before his crucifixion. When Jesus has spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, I do not ask for these disciples only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. We believe because of their word, that they may all be one. So this is the first time we've been talking about being in God, and we're talking about God being in us, but now we get this term, that they may be one. How? Just so the as the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they may be in us. One. Okay? Got it? Now, that's pretty abstract. I think everybody gets it, but it's pretty abstract. We need to put more meat on the bones in order to get it to where it starts to become something that I can appropriate more richly and fully in my life. So watch this. When God made us, he did this. Now we're going after, we're just to give you a we're going after the Trinity right now. If God said we're to be in him, like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are in one another, then what does that mean? What does it mean for God to be the Trinity? And what's he doing in us? So God said, let us. No, God said, let me. One. No, plural. Let us make man in our image, to be like us. Three times, plural. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. No, wait a minute, he created Adam in his image. And then he pulled Eve out. No. Right here, we have this tension. God is three and one. Three and one. Three and one. So here's what he's doing. He's saying right here, there's a multiplicity of things, the plurality of the Godhead, that is also a plurality in us, a multiplicity in us, right? Not just us, not just one of us. But at the same time, we understand, even though God is revealing himself right here in chapter chapter 1, of the Bible as being threefold. Three times plural. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. God said, Let there be light. When He said it, the Word was the one that made the light. And the Spirit hovered over. So, right in the first three verses, you've got the Trinity. And by the end of the chapter, here you have the Trinity, and we're being made in this image. So, there's something about us that's multiplicitous, not duplicitous, multiplicity, right? That's not a word. But at the same time, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I'm going to propose to you that we don't understand what one means. I'm going to propose to you that we understand what Father, Son, and Holy Spirit means, and we think we know what the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit being one means. I'm going to propose to you that we don't actually know what it means. Watch. So all of us who have had that veil removed, Christians, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord, and the Lord makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So we understand he made us in his image, and now he's saved us, and he's again bringing us back to the image that he created, which is going to have a multiple aspect and a oneness aspect, a one aspect, right? Okay? Okay. So, now watch this, see right in here, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now we understand that metaphorically, don't we? We understand that at a wedding, this is Kyle and Mandy Dugan, and at a wedding, see they come together and they take their vows and they become one in the Lord, right? Right? You get it. And there's three of them because there's the Lord and the two of them. And they, because of what he does, makes them miraculously one. We get that, right? We all get that. Okay, I've asked three guys to come up here. I need to show you something now. So the, the three guys, okay? Come on. Okay, come on up. Okay. You always need to have a big heart for the people that I ask up here, okay? But I'm not going to embarrass them too much. Okay, like now just experience. stand in the line right here. Okay? No, like this, so that people can see it in a line. There you go. Okay. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. How are we doing? Okay? So, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I got it. God is three. Now, you three become one. That would be like hug each other. You gotta, but see now that's not so good. Yeah, so hug each other like really hard. Now put your legs around each other and do. I mean, how do you come on tighter? Now come on here like this. Come on, if we're gonna make them one, okay. This is this is now if you go really really hard, then it becomes one, right? Right. That's how it works. Feel so close to you. Do you see that? Okay. Thank you guys. Okay. <laughs> That's how we think of oneness in God. Three people are just like really close to each other. Like maybe we could paint a whirlwind that makes them like one. But really it's three people. But is that the metaphor that God gave us about oneness? Because God gave us a metaphor about oneness. Because we just saw Kyle and Mandy get married to become one in the metaphorical sense. But there is a literal sense that's meant... To communicate something to us, isn't there? They just had a baby. Two people became one flesh. Here's the key. That's not two people. Well, yes it is. It's Kyle and Mandy. Literally their DNA is. But that doesn't look like Kyle and Mandy. Well, it does, but it doesn't. You see what I'm saying? Wait a minute. God just gave us a metaphor about being one that goes way past us getting three guys to hug really close. <laughs> I need to be really careful here because, boy, you could get into blasphemy. You get into bad theology here so fast and make your head swim. But I need us to understand something. I think this is the primary thing that God is trying to bring us today and what it means for us. When God says that he's one, the three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. That oneness is a distinct image in itself. It's a distinct thing in itself. Do you see it? It's not three people really close together. It's one in a way that's indivisible. Do you see it? And it is a new image, isn't it? Now, right here, I'm hoping that what you're doing is saying, wow, that's a really cool way to think about the Trinity. I get it, three people, but then these two people become one, and the baby, one flesh. Wow, this is like a really interesting. God is something distinct in his oneness. It's something much greater than just being close. Now, if you got that, that's pretty good. You, know, you go home right now and say, hey, that was worth the price of admission, I hope. <laughs> but we're not there yet. Because watch this. This is unbelievable. Jesus, God is spirit, right? Then Jesus said to Thomas, after he's risen again, Thomas doesn't believe he's been risen again, Put your finger here and look at my hands and put your hand in the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer, believe. At one point in time, he takes and eats. A spirit doesn't eat, doesn't need to eat, doesn't have flesh to feed. A spirit doesn't eat, only flesh eats. So Jesus Christ risen again, admittedly his flesh is something different than ours is in some capacity because it's appearing and disappearing and so on. But you do understand that it is still his humanity. The one that he was born with. Because he didn't sin. Do you see it? Jesus Christ is still in flesh. God has become flesh. And stayed that way. When he was taken up as they were watching, a cloud took him out of their sight. Jesus Christ in his flesh... Went into the Trinity, which is Spirit. Well, that changes what the Trinity was. Do you see it? And how? By adding you. He's saying, You got to be in me. You being in him literally changes the expression of who he is as God, as one. Are we seeing this? Again, you got to be careful. I'm not saying we're God. Don't misunderstand. That's a mistake Satan made. What I am saying is God, when he says he wants to be one with us, he's saying it in a much deeper level than what we typically appreciate. He's talking about it in a way that is even ontologically. You know the word? It means your being. Do you realize that when he created you, he changed his being? Do you think of it that way? I don't. Immutable. God is God. He never changes. Wait a minute. God is spirit. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I'm going to now totally change that to something that's true, but you'll catch it. For God so loved us... That he actually became something different by having us be in him. By having Jesus re-enter the Trinity in his flesh humanity and so change the very nature of the Trinity by bringing humanity, his humanity in. But humanity is an abstract concept, so let's be clear, by bringing you and me in. We think of Jesus and what he did and we think what he did was is die for my sins and he did, thank God. But that wasn't the point. That was the thing to get to the point. What was the point? The thing that he said. You, Father, in me, I in you, that they may be in us. Here's what I'm trying to say and I think you're already there but I'm just making sure. When God does, when Jesus does what he does, When you enter into Christ, think about it. That baby looks like who? Kyle and Mandy. When God comes into you, what do you look like? God in you. When you go into God, what does he now look like? Do you see it? I'm not calling us God. That's where you're getting into your problem. But are are we here? Do you realize that you're changing his image? He's conforming us to his image, but you still bring the uniqueness that is you, that he created, that he wanted to be in him. You are what? wants to look like. Does that help? Let me put it this way. What does it mean to be baptized into Christ? We're getting practical identity in Christ. As you think about yourself, how do you think about yourself as somebody over here and God is over there and yes, when you get saved, he puts a part of himself in you But when you think about God being in you, when you look in the mirror, what's the majority thing that you see? You, right? You don't see God. You see you. Now, he's cleaned you up a lot, and so you're getting to look more and more and more like him. Praise God for that, right? And more and more will you see God. But I think God wants to take us all the way on this and say, what do I look like when I'm in him? What do you look like when you're in Him now? Picture yourself right now. You're in Him, and you're looking in the mirror. What do you see? God. Do you see it? (laughs) He's trying to get you to see Him. Because that's who He's become one with. And that's the depths of what He's trying to get to in becoming one with you. This is an incredibly serious moment. I want you to be, I'm skipping a couple, of, I'm going to come back to them, but I want you to be good Bereans. I don't want you to take my word for what I've just said. And we're going to do what they did. The people of Berea listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. I'm genuinely asking you to do something. I'm asking you, I was trying to say, God, how do I make this sticky so that people will get it? And I couldn't find it, and I couldn't find it, and I couldn't find it. And finally, what I felt like he asked me to do was to say, send them home with homework. I literally want you to look in the mirror in the morning and say, I'm in God, so what do I look like? That's identity in Christ. That's the thing that he wants you to see. Next week, we're going to do a baptism. Last week, we talked about what baptism was, and we got to the heart of it in part by looking at what communion is. And what we realized about communion was is that there was another way to think about it, and that way was this. It's a pneumatic spiritual spirit or real spiritual presence. This view doesn't try and explain in physical terms how the Holy Spirit makes Christ present in communion. It's not that the bread becomes his flesh and the wine becomes his blood. It's not that. It doesn't, the, the way of understanding what God's trying to communicate is not anything to do with that. But there is something that he's trying to do nonetheless. It's not trans or consubstantiation, but it says communion is not just symbolism. Being baptized is not just symbolism. There's an, this understanding is often called receptionism. And I love this because what it does is it takes this act that he's asking us to do and it puts it on us to enter by faith, to receive what he has done by faith, to understand it and to say yes and amen to it and to enter into it in our understanding. So receptionism, for it says that we're being given something of real substance essence, not as actual body and blood, but everything they point to and mean. And you can only receive this if you actually have faith in Christ and all that he's done for you. Well, today, I think that God has tried to show you something more about what he's done for you so that next week when you get baptized, what you're doing is you're not just saying, this is a symbolism of my, you know, God washing me from sin and making me new. I want you to get it deeper than that. I want you to get to the place to where what your understanding is, is that he's made you one with him. Your image and his image have combined into something new. And as we said last week, I, I don't do the, just do this in remembrance of what he did. I do it to receive afresh what he's done so that I can re-enter into it afresh. And we talked about whether or not to be whether or not you can be rebaptized or not. And what I made an argument towards is anytime that you get a revelation about who God is in more depth, so that you can enter into who he is in more depth, go get baptized if you want, to say, I'm sealing this in me. Not just in remembrance. I'm receiving what you have done. It's not that it isn't already there, but what it is is it's an enthroning it in you. It's sealing it in you. It's bringing it into your understanding so that you, who God has already done everything for, can start living in the truth of you being in him. You it? Now, I just think that God is doing the coolest thing here with these baptisms all said. I think God is taking us to an entirely different place, as he said he would do a couple of months ago. He's good to his word. I think he's trying to get us to understand baptism at an entirely different level. So what I'm asking you to do is to sign up. Put it down. If you want to, if you want to check that box, this is renew my commitment, that's fine. You can or you can't. I don't, it doesn't matter. These are in your packets. And when we're going to collect the offering here in about one minute, I just want you to drop them right into the offering and let us know. And we need that because we need to do planning. But here's the, thing I'm going to, here's the deal I'm making with you right now. If God just spoke to you about something new that you didn't know and that you would like to seal that and make that real in your life about truly being in him, about what it truly means to be one in him, if God spoke something to you and you feel like that's something I would like... <coughs> to have become part of my life, it already is a part of your life, it's now, but I want to talk to the not yet part of me that doesn't get it, I want to make it more substantive and more real, then I'm asking you, write down on this thing and say you'd be baptized, and then do this. Go home and study it, like a good brain. And if it's true, come next week and get baptized. Come next week and be baptized into Christ. To become one with him. If it's not true, then email me and tell me. Okay? But if it is true, if you research it and it's true, I have to tell you, this changes my understanding of what my identity in Christ is. Does it yours? Does it? This changes my understanding of who I really am in God. Because I always look in the mirror as it being me with God in me and he's trying to get out. But what if it's God and he's trying to bring you out to raise you up into the glory that he meant you to be when he made you to be one with him before there ever was a you. So Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name we come before your throne. We want to thank you for these last two weeks. I want to thank you as I confessed last week, I wasn't sure there was enough material. Now I feel like we could do this for a year. Now you've shown us something that I think is just so fundamental. It's, it's, it blows me away. It's mind-boggling. And yet the more that I own it, the more that I enter into it, the more that I live in it, the more that I live in the truth of it, the more I feel it changing my image of myself. The more that I feel it working a life into me. And so in Jesus' holy and precious name, we reach forward and pick up these cups. There's two cups in front of you. And we take this cup, in which is your body broken for me, and we recognize, today we recognize two things. One, the things that I have done that have separated me from you that you healed on the cross. Thank you, God. We always recognize that. And we do, as we said last week, we examine ourselves. If there are things that I need to be repentant of and I'm not, I repent of them right now. But God, there is a second layer today at which we take this particular cup. And that is that Jesus on that cross, you weren't just healing me. You weren't just making me whole. You were making me one. And in Jesus' holy and precious name, I'm asking you, God. God, God, I am already made one. Let me know what that means. I put my finger in there recognizing that I have not necessarily lived a life in that oneness, in an understanding of that oneness. But I come to you now and I say in Jesus' holy and precious name, you have made me one. Like that baby, a new image in you. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, I take that new image, that healing, that wholeness, that fullness and richness that you have. Take this cup together, would you?